<laughs> but anyways, so I heard about this teleprompter. Oh, yeah, I talk louder than Terry does, so he's got to adjust me. Um, I was like, I don't know about this teleprompter thing. Like, what is, what is this thing going to look like? I was afraid it was going to be this big, but I was like, you know what? I'll be open to it, all right? I'll just see what it is. We'll see how it works, and if it flops, like I suspect it will, we'll take it down. And now guess what I'm doing today? I'm using the teleprompter. So, uh, you know, we always learn something from people, and I have uh, learned a lot from, from Terry um, and how he preaches. I've enjoyed his sermons. I hear a lot from you all how much you enjoy his sermons. And I don't, and I don't have a big call to preach. I really don't. Uh, and I told Terry, like, I have not cared to preach or not preach. I'm fine, whatever you want to do. Um, and, and, but I, I know it's nice to have a break, and he can focus on other things. So I'll, I'll get a chance to preach a little bit more, but... Um, I'm also using a lot of slides. You know, he does a lot of visuals, so I'm taking that too. So um, you will probably recognize a little bit of Terry in mind the stuff I do. I know George had brought it to me that one day. You like those visuals, so we do try to listen and, and apply some things. So um, with that being said, it's like I had to deconstruct from some ways that I was doing things. Oh, it's like that's what my sermon's about today. Um, but this topic of deconstruction is very important to me. Very important to me. It's very important for the church. I'm going to go over a lot of information, uh, and hopefully fairly quickly and streamlined. Um, this is Michael Hillard hit me up last night, and he's been wanting to start a group around this idea of deconstruction. And I told him, you know, maybe this can be the launching point for that. Um, so if you are interested after this sermon to to learn more about this uh, and what this is about, um, reach out to me or Michael Hilliard. And let's see what we can't do. So I'm going to start with a reading today. In John, we're going to go John 20. We're going to go 19 to 31. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book, but they are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by his believing you may have life in his name. 
So good old Thomas. And Thomas gets that label, Doubting Thomas, from this passage. But if we're really honest, like, it's really an unfair label to Thomas. I mean, Peter denies Jesus three times, and we don't give him the label denying Peter. Other disciples do other things. We don't give them label. He gets this label, doubting. And actually, the, the Greek word is actually unbelieving. It's not doubting. It's unbelieving. But if we placed ourselves as Thomas in this story, and imagine the disciples coming to you and being like, yo, guess what? Guess what? We saw Jesus. Jesus he's, he's risen. If you're Thomas, you're like, nah, nah, I don't believe it. Because keep in mind, the disciples didn't believe it at first, did they? I mean, when the women came and told him, they were like, no, no, mm-mm. I mean, am I supposed to believe now because you're men? And that time, yes. But he said, you know, for me to believe, I need to touch Jesus. Now, you can't dress some guy up, put him 100 meters away, and say, that's Jesus. I'm not going to believe that. I need to touch him. I, need to, I want to see it. I want to feel him. I want to see those wounds. And then, then I'll believe. Like, I think that's fair. And so what happens? Jesus approaches Thomas, puts out his hands and arms, a lot, gets disciples right out of the way. It's just Jesus and Thomas. Thomas does the thing, touches, is like, oh, my God. My God, it is you. Jesus doesn't shame Thomas to make him feel bad about it. He just simply says, believe now. Believe. You've touched me. You get the benefit of touching me. Others won't, and they'll be really blessed because they will believe even when they don't get to do what you get to do. But Thomas had to have his own encounter with Jesus. And that's important, his own encounter. But this label that Thomas gets, this label of doubt, has been used to do some pretty great harm. The idea of doubt in churches, historically, is not welcome. Leaders don't want your questions. Me and Terry do not want your questions. Don't bring them to us. It's not true. We actually don't mind them at all. But churches... I would say that's a pretty accurate statement. Don't question what, we, what we're saying. Just do what we say. Believe what we believe. Fall in line. And stories like Thomas has been used to suppress questions and narratives to uphold certain church systems and societal systems. One example is slavery. Slavery. That's a big one. At the time of slavery, slaves were not allowed to read the Bible or learn to read the Bible. Certain passages were not ever allowed to be preached on or taught. Only things that justified the institution of slavery was allowed to be spoken about. Because there's many passages that don't speak about slavery, that speak about freedom. Twelve Years a Slave, great movie. I've recommended it many times from the pulpit. Watch it. It talks about this very same thing. And if you think slavery was not strongly supported by Christians and by the church, you're wrong. That is the number one way in which they justified slavery, was through Scripture. It was believed that it was the white man's ordained right to enslave 
a black individual, nowhere in history has people been enslaved like people from Africa. We didn't enslave the Indians the same way. We didn't enslave Hispanics the same way. But we looked at people from Africa with dark skin as not worthy of God. That the darker their skin, the deeper the sin. That was, or, that was ordained, that was backed up by the Pope, and that was preached and used for that institution. But what happened? Abolitionists came around, and they started, a lot of them, abolitionists, two-thirds of abolitionists were Christian preachers, from what I researched. Saying, da-da-da-da-da, you got scripture wrong. So which one should we follow today, and why? Now, that should be an easy question. But at that time, that wasn't so easy. You're tearing down an entire institution. Another one is women ministers. Paul and Timothy, their words seem to have a lot to say about whether women have the right to be ministers or not and their place in a church. Yet, interestingly enough, Paul has women in leadership. Jesus has women as disciples. So which one do we follow? Which scripture do we follow and why? Now, in our church, we affirm women as ministers, so we can answer that. Why do some churches still don't? And there are lots of questions about lots of issues that come from the Bible, and lots of questions we have to consider, questions such as, what's going on at the time that the scripture was written? What's the true problem they are trying to address? Who are they writing to? What kind of literature genre are they using? That's an important one. I recently posted a video on TikTok that went viral. Man, did I get some good comments on this one. And I'm going to share a few later on. And it has a purpose for me sharing it. But I mentioned how the story of Adam and Eve is an allegory. How do I know this? Because I have over 80 hours and I've read about 150 books on the Bible. I have a master's degree and I studied this. I've had the benefit of that. If you don't know what allegory is, you can look it up. But it pushes up against some uh, church doctrines and beliefs that people have, and they did not like that. That's fair. But Paul writes in letters. Leviticus is a law. Psalms is poetry and song. There are parables not just spoken by Jesus, but by others. There's metaphorical language, and we have to look at all those to try to figure out the deeper meaning of Scripture. We also got to think about who is God? What is the nature of God? How do I view God and how I view God and how you view God may be a little bit different. How we view God in the United States of America, we take it as a very personal relationship. That's actually not really the intent. It's supposed to be community. Faith was done in the community, but the way somebody receives God in China compared to America, to Russia, to Ukraine, to Africa, everybody's going to have a different context in that relationship with they see, in which they have with God and see God, and all those are valid because God works differently in all of us. So these are good questions, but questions that we don't want people to ask. 
Because by doing so, it can chip away at some pretty long-held beliefs and doctrines. And that chipping away is what we call deconstruction. And in short, that's what it is. It's a term that refers to the practice of revisiting and rethinking long-held beliefs. A non-biblical belief that is a doctrine created by Augustine is the doctrine of original sin. Do you know that's not a biblical belief? Some, that may be shocking to some. It's not. Augustine, who had a lot to do with the way churches believe and the way doctrines are set up, believe that. No, some will believe in original sin. Some may challenge that. But for a long time, churches don't want that to happen. But theologians for thousands of years have been in debate. You, you name the issue, it's been debated on and talked about. It goes on today. So this questioning still goes on, but a lot of people don't want it to happen because it's going to change what we know in our churches. It's going to change our systems a little bit. And it's, deconstruction is not new, but it's a big buzzword in the Christian community. So if you haven't heard that term, you may start hearing it now that I brought it up. It's kind of like if you haven't seen a red car. Now that I talked about a red car, I wonder how many red cars you'll see on the road today. But it brings a lot of unwelcomeness, deconstruction does. A lot of hate, a lot of hostility towards those that do it. And for churches today and places of faith, we need to be able to sit around tables without this kind of hate and hostility and have meaningful dialogue in times of exploration, much like Jesus did with Thomas. So Thomas could believe for himself. And when we make this statement of welcome all, which we do, that needs to include the doubter, the unbeliever, the questioner, the curious one, the atheist, the agnostic. All are welcome at this table and through those doors. And we can't be berating people with what we believe. You've got to believe what we believe. You must fall in line. This is our doctrine. Do this. Because we haven't helped them to develop their faith understanding. Again, People's faith understanding is going to be a little bit different. doesn't mean we don't have some, some beliefs as a church. One of the beauties about Disciples Church, though, is we don't have hardline doctrines. But to do this, we have to actually set aside some of the things that we do and get on the level of the people around us. And that's really hard to set aside some of those hard beliefs or the hard ways of which we think church should be done to allow for safe exploration. And if we don't, it'll end the church. And I know that's a big statement, but it's one I believe. And let me back that up with some information. In 1999, Gallup poll said over 70% of people were part of a religious institution. Today, only 49%. 23 years, that's a significant drop. And we can see that all around, can't we? I mean, we don't need, we don't need research to tell us that. It doesn't, don't walk into a church today. 70% of youth who attend church in high school have not returned. I know what you're saying. All right, Chad, fix it. Fix it. Okay. I've talked to churches. 
about youth groups and ministries and why they're struggling. I have yet to have one church, one, and I've talked to at least five, one, listen to anything I have to say. Two churches are closed. I'm not saying it's because they didn't listen to me, but the writing is on the wall. It's an institutional issue. And our kids come so differently, our young people come so differently nowadays. There's like a gazillion reasons why this happens, but for this sermon we're going to focus on deconstruction. So one major reason this happens is a lack of trust in institutions. Now there's an overwhelming lack of trust in all institutions, correct? Media, government, business, I mean there's so much distrust today. This is a shocking stat. Terry, you and I are not favored very well. Oops. Okay. We are not favored very well. 51% of 55 years and older find a favorable view of church and church leaders, but only 24% of 18 to 24. You're 25 to 54. I guess you just aren't going to get surveyed. But my guess, you're somewhere in between those numbers. Regardless, it's not a favorable view. I mean, I'm looking around right now. That's like... Two out of five, favor me. That's hard to do anything in church with that kind of distrust, right? And it's fair. It is absolutely fair. Why is this fair? Because churches do not hold itself accountable, and they do not hold pastors accountable for many of their failures and abuses. You don't have to go far on Netflix to find documentaries about this, Hillsong, Mars Hill podcast. There's gazillion churches out there that have been going through this. They focus on mega churches, but let's not be blinded by that. Small churches do it too. They just don't get the press. It's eroded trust, and that erosion of trust has led people to be skeptics of what we teach, what we do, what we're about. You find that people actually, in my, in my conversations with people, they actually really like Jesus. Like people say, I want nothing to do with church, nothing to do with religion or the institution, but Jesus is pretty cool. Like, I like what he's about. But I trust you. It's fair. So we have to rebuild it through transparency, through honesty, even when it hurts. I will tell you, most of our youth cannot understand why churches would not be open and firming. Why would we close our doors and leadership roles to people who are gay and transgender individuals when they encounter a Jesus who says nothing about it? They just see it very simply, love others, welcome all people. Let's do community together. And they don't buy into the church saying. The church saying, not a biblical saying, the church saying of, well, we love the sinner but hate the sin. That is a church saying. We've talked about this many times in youth group. They find it hateful. They find it offensive. They don't find it loving. They find it deeply uncaring. And it doesn't match Jesus. So they start to question and deconstruct. Why don't you all match Jesus? We like him. So we have to rebuild trust and reflect Jesus. Another reason is people are curious. 
And they don't call Thomas Curious Thomas. He's still doubting Thomas. But curiosity is still not usually welcome. And it would be much easier if we were just, people would just do what we said. Parents, would life not be easier? Your kids just did what you told them to do. Gee, wouldn't it be easier? Felicia, just, just do it. Quit asking me. Amen. I can get an amen from those parents out there. Just do it for bosses. Just listen to what I'm saying. Like, quit asking me questions. Just, I, there's a rule. Follow the rule. Just do it. Teachers. Just ask me questions. Billy, you feel this at all? Oh, yeah. I feel it too in youth group. I just got Landon here today. I love Landon. Landon will ask me a question at times. I'm like, Landon, but that kid has won the day multiple times. Has he not? with whatever feedback he gives. It's like, Landon, is like, I love it. Our whole worship and wonder is guided around curiosity and wonder and questions and feedback, and the stuff they say is lovely. I mean, a lot of times, though, our kids, you know, they don't learn until they get out of the house. They get on their own. They start to experience life. That's when they'll call you back and go, hey, um, how do I pay a bill? How do I do this? Um, Where do I get my oil change? Is this right? Like, we'll do this. Martin, Sue, I mean, your kids got the house. You probably get some phone calls. Like, now you're listening to me, huh? You guys know this. I mean, in school, I mean, you're there as a teacher to help and guide. As ministers, we're here to help and guide. In all these areas and avenues of life, we're there to help and guide. And in that lies the solution and the problem. We've chosen conformity over unity. When you come through those doors, you must conform rather than go to a place of unity first. Let's just join together. Remember, early, like faith is supposed to be done in community. We, in Western world, we have got to get this right. In the Western world, it becomes a personal salvation, it becomes a personal faith. That is not the intent. It's supposed to be a communal activity. Together. Eating, breaking bread, worshiping, singing, praying. And people are naturally curious. So we need to encourage curiosity. But to do that, people are going to challenge long-held beliefs the ways in which we do things. And it's going to get a little uncomfortable. But we have to do it. I'll give you an idea of what this looks like for somebody. A famous duo who spoke out about it publicly, a group called Rhett and Link. I don't know if anybody knows them. Some may. Billy, Billy Smiley knows. Maybe a little more for the younger crowd. They're big-time YouTubers. 18 million followers on their YouTube channel called Good Mythical Morning. Then they purchased the YouTube channel Smosh. You guys know Smosh? Yeah, you know Smosh. Kids know that. It has over 25 million followers. This is what they said about their community. They said that theirs was a Bible Belt Christian community in North Carolina that did not encourage the kinds of questions they were asking themselves and each other. A community that should encourage, should encourage seeking through questions. Because when they do, if a community does that, here's what happens. This is Audrey Assad's 
Twitter post. If you know Audrey Assad, she's a Christian musician, really wonderful uh, music, and not the Jesus is my boyfriend type of modern day Christian contemporary music, more um, theologically deep meaning. She says, and she deconstructed her faith and received a lot of criticism for it. She said, more now than ever, the less I have clung to ideas, I am simply trying to be here, now, and that is where I found God. She had her own encounter with God when she deconstructed, much like Thomas had his own encounter with God. But people are afraid of this, and it brings criticism, a lot of unloving and judgmental criticism that people like Matt Chandler, who's a very prominent minister in this country, talked about. You and I are in a day and age where deconstruction and the turning away from and leaving the faith has become some sort of sexy thing to do. I'm in this progressive clergy group on TikTok, about 200 of us. I didn't do a video because I have said on my social media, I will not rip churches or other ministers and do that kind of stuff. They had a lot of fun with his term sexy and deconstruction. We didn't know deconstruction could be sexy, but uh, it definitely spurred a lot of interesting um, conversation because Matt actually has it wrong. Deconstruction is not a leaving of the faith. People aren't leaving the faith. They're seeking and searching. They're, they're curious. They have questions. They need a place to do it. What will usually determine is if people have a group to deconstruct with. Again, see issue one, lack of trust. See issue two, are you about conformity or about unity? And issue three, do people have a safe community? If there's not a safe community to deconstruct with, they may leave the faith. There's someone like Gungor tells how Christian communities and individuals demonize those that are deconstructing and have doubts or even questions. Who's Gungor? They're a musician. You guys know the song? We like beautiful things. Ah, that's about as much singing as you're ever going to get out of me. Ever. But those the amen. Amen. I'm no, I'm no Terry. I don't have a good voice. But they also do dry bones. So they deconstructed, and they have a huge following, millions and millions of people, and got a lot of flack for it by other Christians. And here's what they said. They said, over the last year, I've had so many questions asked of me about what I believe. Just tonight, I had a conversation with someone extremely close to me that said he wouldn't consider me a Christian anymore. Explain Gunger in the post. Why? Not because of my life, not because my life looks like Jesus or doesn't look like Jesus, but because of my lack of ability to nail down all the words and concepts of what I exactly believe. Somebody extremely close said that to them. That's painful. I have lost friendships. I have been called many things by people that know me, that I love, that I no longer can associate with because I've had that. Simply because 
I don't believe the same Christian belief that they have. We're both Christians. We just believe a little differently. I don't mind the comments I get on social media and stuff like that. Those people don't bother me. It bothers me, though, when people that are supposed to love me say stuff like that. That is not a loving community, but it happens a lot. Richard Rohr, who actually termed the word deconstruction, said we go through three stages. Construction, which is what I did for 18 years. I built up a belief system, where I lived, where I grew, like we all do this, right? Parents are a big influence, all that. And then from the time I was 18 years old when I moved and went to college to the time of now, I'm still deconstructing. Um, seminary had a lot to do with that. So those that sent me or encouraged me to go to seminary, congratulations. It's what you get. But I encountered so much knowledge and got challenged by so many people and what I believed to try to articulate it, and I, and I couldn't. So I had to deconstruct and figure out what I believe. I'm still seeking that. I bet you, like Gungor, most of us probably can't articulate every ounce of what we believe. And if you think you can, we can sit down and I will chop holes in it. Because we can't with everything. That's called apologetics, having this deep defense of what I believe, and that is unhealthy. But Richard Rohr says you're going to go from construction to deconstruction and then reconstruction. But that reconstruction is do we have a faith community that's loving and encouraging and safe to do that in? And those are people you don't know. I'm going to share just a few comments I got on my recent viral video. These are the church-appropriate ones. I've learned on my comments to just have fun with the comments back. I don't fight with people too much. But I had somebody say, I feel sorry for you on the day of judgment. I said, oh, thanks. You're so sweet. Somebody said, what in the world by devil? Another person said, you're just a lost man playing religion. Another one said, Bible talks about folks like you as heresy. I had over 600 comments, I think, on that video. Most were awful. Some I had to delete because they were so awful. By so-called Christians. Now, you may say, well, yeah, Chad, but I wouldn't verbalize that. But you may feel it here. Because somebody challenges your belief or long-held thing that you really believe in deeply. And if you have it here, you can't sit down with them in a healthy way. You're going to have to work on yourself. I know I have to do that even for my own self because we need to build loving and non-judgmental spaces that are safe for people to explore the faith, especially children, especially young people, especially people no matter what age they walk through their doors and maybe need to re-encounter God again. And they got questions, and they're curious, and they want to know about Jesus. Ken Ham, another one, sort of the Creation Museum, very outspoken against deconstruction. Marty Sampson, who's a songwriter for Hillsong, and has deconstructed, see the number one lack of trust. He said he simply just wanted to wrestle and grow. That was his response to Ken Ham, who was saying stuff to him. He just wanted to wrestle and grow. That's what people really just want to do. So we need to approach these situations with joy. Approach them with joy. 
and be open. This is a positive opportunity to reach people. Do you guys remember Marlena from Germany that used to go here? She finally went to church in Germany. She still is not a believer, but she finally went to church. We still write letters to each other to this day. Till this day. I take great joy in my relationship with her and to see her grow as a person and her connection with God. It is great joy, my friends. And it's a positive opportunity to turn someone not to your belief, but to God. The disciples got out of the way and let Jesus make the encounter for Thomas. Remember, God works mysteriously. He works uniquely through the Spirit in each of us. And our relationship with God, our knowledge of God, and even our own faith is going to be unique. May we build a trusting, unifying, loving, and non-judgmental community where we can join alongside others in their own journey in seeking God. One that looks like Jesus in his encounter with Curious Thomas. Amen.